0: Anglophilia.
1: Hello, fellow Anglophiles. Welcome back to Anglophilia. I'm Stephanie Callis. I'm
0: Kaylee McMahon. You can go to our website, anglophiliapodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at anglopodcast. For more information, more episodes, merchandise, and ways to support us, uh, yeah, so... Take it away, Steph.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I May Destroy You is a British TV series created, written by, co-directed, and executive produced by Michaela Cole for BBC One and HBO. Set in pre-pandemic modern-day London and based on a real-life experience of Cole's, I May Destroy You tells the story of Arabella, a young writer who seeks to rebuild her life after being raped. The series premiered on HBO and BBC in June of 2020. When Cole first began pitching the concept for I May Destroy You in spring of 2017, Netflix offered her $1 million up front while refusing to allow her to retain any percentage of the copyright. In the fall of 2017, when she pitched the show to the BBC, she was given full creative control and the right to her work. Unsurprisingly, Cole delivered. The show took home five BAFTAs, including Best Miniseries, Best Director, Best Writer, and Best Actress for Cole. She also won a Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Limited or Anthology Series. Both a little funny and very thought-provoking, addictive and uncomfortable, I May Destroy You dares to explore the explicit and unspoken boundaries between assault and consent, right and wrong, friend and enemy, good and bad. The series also stars Werucci Opia as Terry, Papa Esiedu as Kwame, Stephen White as Ben, and Harriet Webb as Theodora, just to name a few people. And so without further ado...
0: Kaylee, what did you think of the show? I think it's kind of perfect and I think that there are three things that our listeners need to know right off the bat. One, don't listen to this episode if you haven't seen the show because it's not going to make any sense. We're going to spoil pretty much every element of the plot. It's really worth it. I understand that not everybody has access to HBO so that might be a little tricky but it's really worth getting your hands on if you can rent it somewhere or just find a way to stream it. The second thing is that obviously given the nature of the subject matter we will be talking about rape and sexual assault so if that's not something that you feel comfortable listening to right now skip this episode and then the third thing that I think is important to say is that I really don't think that this is a comedy I think that this is the first show that we've talked about that is kind of more I don't want to say a straight-up drama because obviously Michaela Cole has a lot of humor in her and there are moments of levity but generally speaking even though it is a half an hour and the TV world considers that to be the distinction between a comedy and a drama. It's, there's some heavy shit in here.
1: Oh, completely. I mean, it's not even 80-20. It's more like yeah. 98-2. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like chocolate percentages. Like, don't eat it thinking that it'll be sweet. It's like, this is just for baking. <laughs> but that was a terrible metaphor. <laughs> no,
1: I, I, I get you, I get you. I mean, Michaela Cole, she has this incredible capacity for physical comedy. And mm. there will be very unfunny things happening. Happening on Mm -hmm. the screen, but the way that she can contort her face, there's something just infectious about her comedy in general. But no, this this show doesn't have jokes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's very dense. It's only twelve episodes, but there's so much in here. There's so much about life and humanity, and as you said, about you know consent and rape and all of the gray areas and blurred lines and everything. And it just explores that issue from so many different angles and in so many ways. I mean with something as big as rape and sexual assault you can't say oh yeah she explores every kind that there is because of course you would need a million year long soap opera to do that but she really does explore so many different and interesting facets of it with such nuance and with such empathy for every single person involved and I don't mean that in the creepy way of like well the rapist has a great comedy career that we can't sacrifice because Some bitch is lying about him, clearly. But, like, every single person in this is a person and not just, like, a cartoon villainous monster. And that's something that I think really sets this apart as a piece of art that is about rape, even from a female perspective. Because most of the media that I feel like we've consumed about that, there's like the sort of Lifetime Original Movie tear-jerking sort. And then there's the, you know, male revenge fantasy of like, oh, my woman was raped and now I need to go on a killing spree because that's what I really want to do as a man and I can use this as a convenient excuse. And then I think as a reaction to that, there have been a few other movies or TV series that have explored the, the female rape revenge fantasy Again, from a female perspective, but still taking on that masculine tone of needing to react to violence with violence. And I so appreciated that this show didn't do that and didn't paint anybody as just a one dimensional character like, oh, that white woman is a problematic racist and and therefore can be completely dispensed with or that man is clearly just a predator and has no trauma of his own and can just be painted as a, a monster.
1: Thank you for saying all that. I love that you pointed out that it is nuanced and mm. I love that you discussed the portrayal of sexual sexual assault in other mainstream movies and television shows it's often very violent and this is about like it's just about the trauma in mm-hmm. general it's about the ways that people deal with trauma mm-hmm. ways that other people react to the news that you were assaulted that can make things worse or better or be eye opening also i mean of course you did say it can't possibly deal with every single form of rape or assault or any sort of aggression yeah. microaggression a lot <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But this does dare to be like, not only is a man popping out of a bush not the only form of rape, And not only is date rape not the only form of rape, there are so many things that are almost impossible to describe to Mm -hmm. other people. You don't have the words. Jumping ahead a little bit here, we've talked a lot about how obviously this was created by a woman, the lead character is a woman. There's a lot of discussion of a woman's place and her safety in the world moving among predatory males. But one of the lead characters, Kwame, he is a gay man. He does experience, you know, a violation. And when he goes to the police, it is a completely different story versus mm-hmm. the way that Arabella is treated in her description of what happens to her. Kwame has shown zero respect. A lot of it is due to the fact that the cop is clearly a little grossed out that he's gay, mm-hmm. but that's important too. So yeah. it examines like the befores and afters and the way that people around you react to your very real story and yeah. how their reaction can inform your path to acceptance or recovery or, or whatever that looks like for you. So very
0: nuanced and it's a half an hour. I- <laughs> no it's also I mean this is obviously like a very diverse show not just in terms of race like white people are definitely a minority here but also in terms of you know just the different intersecting identities and it's really a cool examination of how those identities do inform the way that you're treated in the world and sometimes it's surprising because as you said Arabella is treated really really wonderfully by the two I think it's important to note black women police officers who who deal with her case and even even though they ultimately do need to close the case because they don't have enough evidence or a suspect, they treat her with such empathy and such care from minute one. It does a really good job of exploring the different ways that our identities cause the world to treat us in certain ways and then therefore cause us to treat other people in certain ways. Yes. Um, Yes. because it's it's all these patterns that we've learned unconsciously that we are not aware of and that we like can't even really fully be blamed for I'm not saying that like oh you should get off the hook for being conditioned to be a white supremacist or for being a misogynist and a little rapey or whatever but nobody here is originating any of these patterns they're just participating in this millennia-long terrible terrible thing of, of humans just abusing one another in shocking and violating but also subtle and like slightly demeaning ways and like a whole range in between.
1: Yeah no I do think it's important to say again I know I mentioned this earlier but Michaela Cole did experience something very similar to the lead character she portrays Arabella where one night she was up late writing an episode of Chewing Gum pulling an all-nighter at a studio office and a friend invited her out for a drink her drink was spiked and she was assaulted by two men and when this experience you know happened to her her counselor straight up told her let's start preparing ourselves on accepting that they're not Mm -hmm. going to find the people and that's exactly what happened and as far as any sort of retribution all she wanted was for these guys to be caught she didn't want Mm -hmm. them to be killed she just wanted them to face justice for what they did but her counselor explained to her that out of every thousand rape cases, like 995 perpetrators still roam free and Ugh. are are. Yeah, I know. And so her whole thing that she kind of talked about in her path to acceptance was when she experiences trauma, she starts to see more things in terms of black and white, friend or enemy, good or bad, you know, rapist or non-rapist, and you can see that. Arabella has the most incredible arc you can see when she's doing kind of well, you can see when she's barely holding things together, Mm -hmm. and you do see that there comes a point where she starts to view everyone very black and white. You're with me, you're against me, you think what happened to me was terrible or you don't, there is no in-between. And that's not something that's going to work in the long term. There's this whole theme in the show of like bringing this half of yourself together with the mucky part of yourself and Mm -hmm. being able to see other people that way as well. This girl wrote 191 drafts of this show by herself. She struggled to come up with what the perfect ending would be and she did receive input but there was no writer's room on this show. This woman took... (laughs) took her broken heart and turned it into art as carrie fisher would have
0: said fucking shit yeah and
1: you know thank you for bringing up the diversity because we're told over and over by people who make tv that like we want a young exciting talented black woman on tv Mm -hmm. and it's like then do it and you might get this don't just say that this is what you're hoping to achieve someday in the future when you find the best person for the job. Like, swing big and you will
0: not necessarily be disappointed. The thing that you said about how when Arabella is in a state of heightened trauma, her thinking goes to black and white, and that's a theme that's so beautifully explored on this show and that is encapsulated in a quote that I hope that we can play from her therapist.
1: Did you happen to write it down? She says, a line is drawn separating bad from good, friend from foe, men, women, black white them us criminal victim god devil it helps us to deflect you know and to avoid feelings like guilt uncertainty self-blame these feelings are crucial in the stages of recovery if we can't process and understand them we can't process and understand ourselves.
0: It's Halloween and she's dressed up as this dark angel with these incredible horns. It's sort of like a Maleficent slash bat amazing thing. She is like the avenging angel of cancel culture, basically. She has found comfort in having a social media presence sticking up for people who are marginalized and who have been wronged. And then, you know, predictably sort of takes it too far and people are saying like, oh, we should start doxing men. And she has such rigid standards for everyone but herself she's got this hard line of moral purity that she's holding everybody else to like this is the episode where she finds out Kwame technically but not intentionally committed a rape by deception by sleeping with a woman without disclosing that he is gay And so she says something homophobic that makes him come out to her, and she is predictably and justifiably horrified. But Arabella is so... She's like, I I can't be around you if this is the kind of person that you are, if you would do something like that. But in maybe the previous episode or two episodes ago, she, not knowing how he had been traumatized by his assault experience, locked him in her bedroom at a party with a boy that he thought was cute, thinking that she was creating a romantic situation for them. But it really traumatized him, and that's... If your whole personality is now going to be about respecting people's boundaries and making sure that everybody's comfortable, you can't, you can't throw stones is what I'm saying if you're in that sort of a glass house. This is such a perfect little metaphor or microcosm for cancel culture. And that's a term that is so loaded and that I feel weird even using because people on the extreme right use it in bad faith to talk about, oh, well, you can't, you can't say anything anymore. You can't slap your secretary's ass anymore. Rapists are suddenly being being held accountable for the rapes they commit but truly it is something that like everything is nuanced and it is not black and white and people you know entire communities whether it's women or black people or indigenous people or the trans community like communities are traumatized and so it makes sense that they slash we would see things in black and white like Arabella does when she's in the deepest point of her descent so you can't you can't blame them for seeing things as like you are either with us or against us you are either friends. End or foe And if you use the wrong terminology one time, or if you dare to debate this tiny nuance of something that is a little bit more complicated, then it must be that you are the oppressor, you are the enemy, that's hate speech, you cannot, you're you're canceled, you're not in my life anymore. And that's not how progress ever gets made. I'm thinking about what we said in the staged episode about how like, I hate men is not a good, (laughs) it's not a good (laughs) tack for me to be taking if I want, you know, a a feminist utopia in the future. And I agree with that.
1: It's such horrible, unfortunate timing that in the pilot episode, she's drugged and assaulted by a guy. And she has just fragmented memories of it. It's only a couple episodes later that she has a consensual sexual experience with someone she's attracted to and then learns that he stealthily removed the condom without (sighs) her consent. There's a great moment where she gets to like kind of publicly humiliate him. Mm -hmm. But he's also a writer being published under the same exact publisher as her. And by the end of the series, he does have to finish the book that he's working on under a nom de plume, a female, sounding nom de plume, but he still gets to publish his book yeah he's having difficulty finding an agent but like the book is a hit and Mm -hmm. he's gonna be fine yeah he might have to continue writing under a different name for a while right but he's not canceled either like it's not no, it's it's very easy to maybe humiliate the shit out of somebody, but canceling, a little bit harder to do when someone has some actual power and some actual prestige behind their name. That
0: is very true. That was also something interesting in the monologue when she outs Zane at the mm-hmm. little writer's summit thing when she's supposed to give a reading from her book. But she says, you know, Zayn Serene is a rapist because he secretly removed a condom while we were having sex. And she said, you know, in the UK, it's rape. In the US and Australia, it is rape adjacent. It's a bit rapey. It's assault. And I was like, oh shit, that's not considered rape in America we that's there's nothing more rapey than inseminating someone against their will putting your semen inside someone when they don't know and don't want it how is that not considered rape in our fucking country wake up sheeple like that that's not that that freaked me the fuck out Made me want to move to the UK even more than I already do. Horrible.
1: Yeah, rape adjacent, and in Australia, it's a bit rapey. Yes. (laughs) That was interesting information.
0: Ooh, yeah. The thing is, I didn't know that that wasn't considered rape, but I bet some viewers didn't know that it was considered rape elsewhere.
1: And again, that's something this show does a few times. Kwame
0: clearly doesn't know that he
1: raped that girl mm-hmm. because sex under false pretense is a thing he thought that he had like a right as a gay man to mm-hmm. experiment yeah. with somebody else which on paper i do understand that for sure we talk about experimenting and free love <laughs> maybe we don't talk about free love anymore <laughs> What the fuck <laughs> decade am i in um but yeah he does not realize that his right to experiment with this person is only as legit as her right to realize what's going on from the jump yeah but the way he is just able to like calmly say what happened he did not know and I have been in the same room as a man who told me like I once convinced a girl I was gay (sighs) because it made it easier for him to hit on her and to ask for exactly what he wanted which was sex and then she was so mad afterward lol like laughing and I was in a loud bar and I said to him that was rape And like the words were coming out of my mouth and I was going, oh, is this rude? Am I being rude? <laughs> Am I going to ruin his evening? And Aww. then I thought, maybe that's exactly what you're doing. Hopefully you're ruining the next couple weeks, if not months or years of his life. Yeah. Not like ruining, leaving him completely, you know, in abject, like, horribleness. But yeah, and, and the way he was like, what? I said, yeah, you, you tricked a person into having sex with you. That's not okay. Yeah. He had no idea. And I did see, like, fear in his eyes, of like, oh my God, what have I done? What does this make me? Yeah. But we kind of have to ask ourselves those questions because no one from the top down is explaining it. It's we're true. kind of left to figure a lot of this shit out. They kind of don't want us to know that we're it's, violating yeah.
0: each other all the fucking That is time. That is very, very true, yeah. And I will say that there is even, again, with all of the different nuance and all of the many different kinds of rape and assault that exist on this crazy broad spectrum, even what you're describing is different from what Kwame did because he specifically intentionally deceived someone whereas Kwame's was more of a rape, by omission. Mm-hmm. I think that it's still shitty and it's still, it's again with the different intersecting identities something that I often think about is the sort of complicated relationship between straight women and gay men and how sometimes we can sometimes use each other as props. Like there are definitely some really wonderful and deep and perfectly mutually respectful relationships between straight women and gay men but certainly in like media like Sex in the City for example, the gay man is just a fun sassy prop and a substitute for a girlfriend and like a convenient plus one when you can't get a real man, quote unquote. And then the other way is like, gay misogyny is a very real thing. It's like, oh, I can touch your boobs. It's okay, because I'm gay and I'm not getting anything out of it. Never mind what your experience is. Or, you know, feeling like, oh, well, I can experiment or like I can have a beard and I can date women to stay in the closet and to not upset my family, but not thinking about how that would affect her and how like this is a real person, not just your prop to help you fit into this heteronormative world that you're excluded from. So yeah, I just thought that that was are really interesting and like one of the more complicated ones a lot of them are sort of more clear-cut as far as like who's the villain and who's the victim but like That one, that was tricky because he really had absolutely no idea. And that's also something that this show answers so interestingly, and it's the same thing with I think what they do with Zane's character is like, what happens after like this whole show is about the aftermath from the point of view of the victim mostly but like what happens to a person after he's made a mistake. And again, mistake is a very key word because Zane's was intentional. Kwame's was really very much as innocent a mistake as you can get on this show. And then there's that, but then there's like the fucking Brock Turner thing of like, oh, should this boy be punished for 20 minutes of action? He very deliberately attacked an unconscious girl in fucking public. Like, that's not a mistake. That is a very deliberate choice that he should be punished way more than he ever was or will be for. Ugh. Now I'm thinking about the statistics that you said about how many rapists just roam free (laughs) and that's I know uh, yeah when I feel like a lot of times like specifically as a relatively privileged cis straight white woman people are very dismissive of me with my like angry feminism and like oh it's not really that big a deal it could be worse in other countries like whatever but like I don't think that men understand just how deeply every woman alive is traumatized by rape even when it hasn't happened to you. It is in the culture, tell me if you feel the same way, but I have grown up viewing sexual assault as something that is inevitable, even though. Knock on wood, hasn't happened to me yet. Like Arabella says when she's in her support group with a friend of hers from, or an acquaintance who becomes a friend of hers from when they were in school together. She has this quote at her first meeting where she says, I'm here to learn how to avoid being raped. There must be some way, because if there isn't, that means at any time someone could just drag me into a bush and it would happen all over again. And I'm, I just. I don't know what kind of world that would be. And the world that that is, is the world that every woman or, you know, non-binary person, trans person, everybody who's not a cis man inhabits that world. That line stabbed me in the gut
1: and the heart and Mm -hmm. the balls and to answer your question you know viewing sexual assault as an inevitability Mm -hmm. I mean maybe I wouldn't use the word inevitability but I would use the word probability yeah it's just on the table and I do think of that as a potential outcome of something that could happen to me before I ever think about murder yeah even though I know sometimes for a female or
0: trans person those two things can coincide absolutely Um, but you don't hear like one in four women is murdered in her lifetime (laughs) in her lifetime you don't get murdered more than once but you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Little things like my mother always telling me, make sure you get so-and-so's father to walk you to your car after the birthday party. She never said, because I'm afraid you'll get raped, Mm -hmm. but it was always just... There, in yeah. the air, this idea that I was not safe to get back to my car, yeah. holding your keys a certain way between your fingers, yeah, purposely walking across the street because you see a man coming toward you on the yeah. sidewalk that you're on, mm-hmm. things that we kind of do automatically to navigate this crazy world we're in. It's just second nature, it's unspoken, and, you know, there are obviously some women who do choose to walk around at night, regardless. I'm one of them. Same. But I bring my ID, (laughs) Yeah. you know, with the thought of in case something horrible happens to me.
0: Yeah, walking alone at night, especially since, you know, we're recording this in late fall, so night starts at like 4 fucking 30 in the afternoon. (laughs) Like, walking around in the dark is inevitable. And like, when I'm walking home by myself, I have this really weird specific (laughs) visual association with like, if I can just make it that far, then I'll be fine. Have you seen Disney's adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow? Oh, yes. Okay, so you know when like, Ichabod is like, I just need to get across that covered bridge without being beheaded by the headless horseman. That That is the terror that I live with on a nightly basis and that so many women all over the fucking world live with that and so much worse. Our whole mm-hmm. lives are the legend of Sleepy Hollow.
1: <laughs> I know. And it's fascinating that like to bring this up is yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I had no idea.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm shocked,
1: shocked that rape is going on in this. When space. you have boobs and an ass at age 11, mm. catcalling just becomes part of your life. Mm. Even if you don't have boobs and an ass, your hips, something in your body begins to read to people as woman, and they will let you know. And (sighs) I mean, I used to tell people things that were yelled at me by passersby or people in cars, and people would laugh. Like adults would laugh, fellow kids would laugh. No one ever fucking said, Was that scary? Are you okay? Like, no one ever fucking said that. And so then, by the time I told my younger brother a time where being catcalled late at night on a street in an unfamiliar neighborhood was scary, Mm -hmm. and he looked at me, and there was genuine concern and fear in his eyes, but it was like, wait, what happened? Mm -hmm. And it's like sweetheart you think that was the first time yeah you think I didn't know that was gonna happen yeah inevitability on those kind of things for sure like yeah. it's part of my makeup at this point
0: yeah and I think that that's something that like we have been so conditioned to not talk about it and to just like grin and bear it or to like laugh about it and make it into a joke for ourselves because sometimes that is the easiest way to protect yourself against the mental and emotional toll that this sort of repeated behavior can take but um, can I ask if it's not too personal the question like what are some of the scariest and or grossest or weirdest things that people have said to you on the street
1: well that case was like just scary because it was like no one on the street but me Mm -hmm. and then like four men leaning against a fence Mm -hmm. next to a park where i could easily have been like dragged and hidden somewhere so it was just sexy ass but it was just the way that like four like large men were there saying it to me late at night in the dark
0: oh yeah no i know it's not what you say it's how you say it And um, I feel like we're probably going to be jumping all over and I'm sorry for the sort of weird structure of this episode. But I do want to talk about the dynamic between Theo and the boy that she's sleeping with and all of the and, and the alliance that forms. Because again, like white women and black men, that is such a tricky dynamic to navigate. It's tough. Like as a white woman... I want the harassment that I receive to fit with the worldview that I have. Does that make sense? Like, I want them to be white because I know that they're the ones with the real power, but that hasn't personally been my anecdotal experience, and I feel guilty even admitting that out loud. But like, my scariest stranger experience was when I was coming back from a red-eye flight, four or five in the morning, I was on a subway car completely by myself, and then two men who happened to be black came onto the subway and sat down on either side of me. Which is so fucking threatening to do to a woman traveling alone. And they just started saying, hi, hi, hi. And I just froze because that's what you fucking do. And Mm -hmm. it's so easy for a man who's never experienced this to be like, oh, I'd kick him in the balls. You fucking would not if you were me. You do the deer in headlights thing and you're panicking and you're like, how would this look what do I do? And then they started saying, like, oh, she's probably shy. Like, her, her mother probably told her not to talk to black men. And I was like, this is not a race thing. This is a you guys being adult, scary men with a lot more upper body strength than me violating my personal space. And I thought, like, they could very easily kill me, but my being white would give me a certain sort of power in death that I wouldn't have if I were a woman of color. And it's fucked up that I'm thinking that. It's fucked up that I'm wishing that a cop would come in right now because I don't have a good view of cops, but I did think, like, I could be victorious over you because the system might side with me since you're not, like, famous, since you're not O.J. Simpson or Bill Cosby. And I hated myself for thinking that way, but it's exactly the sort of weaponizing of female whiteness that Theo uses when she feels violated, uh, and rightly so, by her interactions with Ryan. So Theo, we mentioned briefly, is someone who has a support group for survivors of rape and assault, and Arabella reconnects with her after they had a rocky history in school, because Theo she's having sex with this boy Ryan who's black and he takes out his shitty little 2004 camera phone and starts taking pictures of her and she is of course very angry but then he eventually talks her into allowing him to take the pictures and like accepting money for it like it's just again it's so shitty because he didn't invent the idea of sex as being a commodity and women being disposable and interchangeable and something that you use for sex in order to gain cred the idea that like an orgasm isn't enough. You need to be able to brag to all your bros about it with videographic or photographic proof. It's just something that's been in the culture and you can't fully blame this teenage boy for being a dumbass, but like I was angry obviously about the way that he treated her. And so then what she did is that she cut herself on her legs and told everybody that she had been raped by him at knife point. And you know, she she was violated and she is entitled to that anger, but of course she, she weaponized her white womanhood in a way that often has deadly consequences for black men and boys. And so then Arabella and Terry, they have another friend who's black and a boy and he shows these pictures that show that it was in fact consensual and that she was just trying to get him in trouble and get revenge on him because he had made her feel so worthless and shitty. And so then they form this thing called the Alliance and all of the black students in school, you know, band together against her. And then when she's caught in the lie, she's walking in shame past them and they're kind of hooting and hollering. And she just says under her breath, fucking African monkeys. And again, that's not something that she invented. She didn't invent the idea of equating African people with monkeys, but that is where you go in moments when you're feeling powerless and angry. You just go for the lowest blow and the easiest jab that you've been taught culturally. And so it's really easy to resort to misogyny when you're mad at a woman or to homophobia when you're mad at a gay person or to racism when you're mad at a person of color. And that was a really chilling little moment for me because I I recognized that feeling of like, these these guys are trying to specifically terrorize me. I've posed them no threat. I'm not gonna try to, I don't even want to like call the cops on them even if I could. I just want them to leave me alone. But you do go to that racialized place because what else, like you're trained to, you can't not think in those terms. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That episode was
1: fascinating yeah. and messed up, which yeah. they kind of all are. Yeah. Because it's just telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. And in the end of that episode, too, you do learn that she learned how to lie about men from her own mother. Mm-hmm. We learn that the mom forced her when she was seven years old to, like, lie during custody hearings that her biological father had beaten or otherwise abused her and her mom. And the way that she says to her mom, like, you know, when you're seven, you don't know what to believe. So when you told me to say all that, I just said it. Yeah. Turned me into something else, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of shows and movies talk about the cycle of abuse, like an obvious abuse. Mm -hmm. This person was, I don't know, touched up by a priest and then became a a rapist or a murderer. It's always very clean cut like that. But we don't always see ways in which children learn how to uphold a white supremacist patriarchal system. We don't see how it does come from somewhere and it gets in your goddamn DNA. And in that moment, it's like, I'm disappointed in Theo. I'm scared for Theo. I'm scared for Ryan when they talk about how the police are on their way. Of course. I am glad that young Arabella goes and shows the picture to the principal, even though that's also a huge violation. This girl didn't want these pictures of her taken. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. She felt that violation, and so she goes to that place of trauma, where things become very binary. Mm -hmm. And these are no longer a group of young black kids who are happy that Ryan is not being taken to jail. They are a slur and Mm -hmm. if we can just get past the bullshit of like if you thought the thought you are bad it's like no i thought the thought because someone taught me that this was a fact
0: (laughs) i'm gonna quote peep show i could rape him i'm not going to rape him thinking the thought does not make you bad
1: Go on. (laughs) thinking the thought does not make you bad but we're so ashamed of this idea that we might be bad Mm -hmm. that it's easier to just say i don't see color yeah i don't see that he's gay i don't see things Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like you don't want to look inside and go i clocked all of this yeah and i hate that i clocked all of it Mm -hmm. it's not my fault how do i make sure that this is not how i see people how do yeah. i check in and make sure that just because i have this in my nature my nature does not have to then instruct me on how to act or how to treat yeah. other people
0: it's tough too because it is important to see these identities because they do shape who we are not because of some innate biological thing we're like oh if you have the woman gene then you're gonna be more sensitive and if you have the gay gene then you're gonna like shoes more that like there's nothing about that it's just the the <laughs> <laughs> ways that our identities affect us are, I believe, almost entirely external conditioning. And so it's necessary to see that stuff, but also the tricky tightrope act then becomes how do I recognize these things and adjust my thinking to compensate for the shitty conditioning that I've been exposed to and what I believe about these groups of people without bringing all of that baggage, whether it's from cultural depictions or from what you learned in a terrible public school or from your own experiences with people from these groups if you've been legitimately wronged by them. Mm -hmm. Or not by them, but by individuals individuals who match that description I should say yeah Because no no identity is a monolith humanity is fucking complicated as fuck and there's so much variety within it
1: humanity is fucking complicated as fuck and when you do think about it like if you look at the history of the United States is it not sort of a miracle that you and I are even having this conversation (laughs) and exploring like here's how I've upheld shit Mm -hmm. and that's another thing this show does that you don't see in other things that deal with assault, rape, or trauma. It's Mm -hmm. like, not only is this a nuanced discussion about what qualifies as rape, Mm -hmm. and it's making me think about what other people have done to me in a different way I am also thinking about what I have done to people sure
0: so we've managed to be talking for about an hour now and we haven't talked about really the characters at all except for as we've just been talking about these these big ideas that they play into so should we should we start our discussion of uh let's begin with our our heroine Arabella I kind of love her I do too something that I really love about Arabella in this is that the whole first episode is like the lead up to her rape and then the episode ends with her getting like the first little flash of what happened. And it's fucking terrifying, but really well done. And, you know, she is not a perfect victim. And that is so important because so often, as we've seen before in in depictions of rape, it's like, oh, you need to be white and a virgin and a Christian and saving yourself for marriage and never touch the devil's nectar. Like you can't possibly have any sort of substance. But, you know, what's so great about this is not only is she a woman of color and sexually active, but she is specifically taking a break from this book that she needs to turn in a draft of the next morning. And she sets a little timer on her phone for an hour to go have fun with her friends and meet them at the bar. She does drugs and then is, you know, drugged on top of that. So it's so interesting because that can just compound the self blaming and the victim blaming that other people will put on her, which just fucking sucks. But I could understand if I were her feeling like, God, if I had just been more diligent as a writer, if I hadn't been procrastinating, if I hadn't gone to that bar, this is my fault. Like she does make what are on paper objectively poor decisions, but that still doesn't mean that she deserved to have a stranger drug and rape her and I really hope everything I just said now is nothing that hits any of our listeners is like novel information (laughs) like duh fucking duh no one deserves that that's not okay to do even if the person is falling down drunk of their own volition
1: you know when I first saw the trailer for this show I felt anxious because I've been drugged oh I was not drugged and violated, and it was one of those things like, did I leave my house that night to have drinks? Well, obviously, no Mm -hmm. one drugged my (laughs) LaCroix. I wanted a margarita, Mm -hmm. maybe several. I was in my early 20s, but... My friends had a designated driver and we went out one night and something that a friend of mine from college and I used to do, if we were at a bar and a guy offered us drinks, we'd like make eye contact and one of us would go, I'll come with you. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm going to talk to this guy the entire time Mm -hmm. so that I can say my eye was never off my drink and it always worked Mm -hmm. so this one friend of ours went to get the drinks this night of 10 or so years ago and i think the fucking bartender did it jesus because i was not even halfway finished with my drink and i remember looking into it and thinking there's so much more like i remember thinking like but i'm so fucked up yeah (laughs) but there's so much more and then the night gets patchy And the following day, like, watching Arabella going, why is there a cut on my head? Why Mm -hmm. is my phone cracked? Why did I take money out of this ATM? Where were all my friends? Because she is there with a person she knows. And that gives the illusion of some kind of safety, especially since she's with a man that she knows. No one's going to come fuck with me. I'm here with guys. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just the next day being like, Tell me everything that happened. And everyone assuring me, like, we were together the entire time, but a man did kiss me. I was waiting in line for the bathroom, and there was a guy who had been kind of flirting with us. It was a table of four chicks, and I was waiting for this single occupancy bathroom, and he came, and he was kind of flirting with me. And I'm sure I was just going like, leave me alone, I'm drunk. But he just leaned in to kiss me, and in that moment, I felt like it will be easier to let him do this. oh
0: uh, yeah. And...
1: How fucked up is that?
0: It's so fucked up. And it's something that, first of all, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That's already a very traumatic experience. And on the spectrum of trauma, as we've seen not even remotely close to the extreme end. But that's, that's fucking horrifying that that's just like a thing that happened to you as a woman out in the world living your life. But I mean, I, as someone who very rarely drinks, I consume anywhere from one to four very girly sugary cocktails per annum. (laughs) And like, I've never tried any illegal drugs, but I still know what it is to be like, it's easier to say yes than to say no, like in in relationships, or it like when I'm completely sober. Because it's so much scarier if you say no and they do it anyway, as opposed to, well, I'm saying yes, and I don't really want to, but at least that way, technically, this isn't rape, and so I don't need to add that to this bundle of trauma. It's just easier to go along with it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, again... Male listeners need to fucking hear that that's not okay.
1: Well, at the end of the day, I know that there was a lot of controversy around that article that was published during Me Too arriving at its fever pitch of like, who's it going to be today? Mm -hmm. The anonymous woman who talked about her experience with Aziz Ansari. And the conversations that followed were very revealing because to say to multiple men like, dudes, did she acquiesce to everything? Sure, but imagine being a woman or being someone who's not in a position of power, because on top of that, Aziz is a celebrity. He's not just a man. He's a famous man. Mm -hmm. Imagine a bad date involving sucking a dick when you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine that is a bad date for a woman, not, oh, they were boring. They didn't look as hot as they did in their pictures. They made me pay for dinner. It's
0: like, I had to suck a dick. Yeah, all men should have to (laughs) suck a dick that they don't want to suck to know how it feels. No, I'm kidding. That's my... (laughs) That's my violent tit for tat brain but um, I do remember reading that piece. And I remember reading a really shitty response to it. And the title was, Aziz Ansari is guilty, dot, 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 of not being a mind reader. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It's true. Men can't read minds. So don't assume consent unless you are 100% sure. You can't know that a woman definitely wants to suck your dick. So stop trying to pretend like you're a mind reader. If you hear no, or if you don't hear an enthusiastic yes, just back off. What's extra bl- bullshitty
1: and shitty about that is that she did say she wanted to stop sucking his dick. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like several times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's not a mind reader. he doesn't have like ears that process language to his brain. What the fuck? He's not Superman. Have you
1: seen the Mike Nichols movie Carnal Knowledge? I have not. There is a scene where a young Candace Bergen is making out with her boyfriend a young Art Garfunkel and I don't know what he reaches for if it's for her top or her crotch mm-hmm. but she tells him to stop and he's like, oh, come on, blah, blah, blah. And she just asks him, how can it be fun for you if you know that it's not fun for me? Mm. And what I hated about that moment was thinking about like every partner I'd ever
0: had. Fucking (laughs) right, yeah. Like five no's and a yes. Success, great. I hope you feel fucking good about that. I know. How
1: can you be blind to that? It's like... I am so hyper aware when I'm with a friend having lunch, if her mood is not enthusiastic, I will start going, oh no, did I force her to have lunch with me? She said she wanted to. Is her food bad? What's going on? This is all my fault. Uh, And that's exhausting. Oh, Stephanie, more men should be like you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's true. And maybe likewise, dude. Like more. It's just like understand the power that you have over another person like even I mean this is this is still touchy but I think it was brave of you to admit that while you were afraid of those two men on the subway you you did kind of cycle through like what the power dynamics were because you you knew there were power dynamics at play like inherently in that moment and so it just takes a second to be like wait a second I'm a man I asked her to suck my dick She said no and made a face and then sucked it anyway. Perhaps she did that because I possessed some power over her. Young woman, (laughs) please stop sucking my dick. Let's have a cup of tea instead, or would you rather leave this apartment and never come
0: back? I think that probably the thought process is more like, she said she didn't want to suck my dick, but then when I took my dick out, it was so magical and irresistible that she just had to. (laughs) I'm awesome and my dick's even better. Mm. (laughs) See, I'm writing male characters the way that men have written female characters throughout the ages, so, you know turnabout this is, is fair true. play i suppose you know we stephanie and i in one of our bi-weekly movie nights just the other night we watched an extremely rapey 80s teen comedy called zapped i hadn't actually seen the whole movie before but at one point protagonist scott Bayo is about to have sex with his girlfriend and like uses his newly acquired telekinesis to try to pull up her shirt and she is really trying to keep it down and we're like oh god this is horrifying and then it cuts to them like post-coital and she's smoking in a science lab which is a stupid thing to do with all those chemicals and like they just they had sex even though she very clearly didn't even want to take off her top
1: yeah that felt gross to watch yeah that felt gross to be like i know that in this moment i'm supposed to be happy for him
0: <laughs> but why yeah no i mean we've talked about this before but like the rapiness of 80s teen comedies like fucking Sixteen Candles, Revenge of the Nerds. There's just so much. Portraying rape as like a cute thing that nerdy boys get to do and hooray, good on you for scoring the hot babe through deception and substances and force and persistence.
1: And that is presenting it as fun and games. Mm -hmm. It's all just a bit cheeky. Boys will be boys. What do you want? They want to see your boobs. You gotta just put up with them wanting to see your boobs. Have you ever seen the 70s movie Bloom? in love no. with um George Siegel no I haven't it's the story of him like post-divorce his wife starts dating Chris Christofferson and you're really on George Siegel's side he's very sad he misses his wife and then there is this scene where he full on rapes her for several minutes. Mm. And she's saying no the entire no, time. I, no, I think no, no, the actress no, no, no. is Susan Onspach. Then Chris Christopherson shows up at the end and she yells like he raped me. And Chris Christopherson punches him.
2: Because <laughs> That's he's fair. the
1: good man. In equal exchange. But in the end, this couple gets back together. No. She gets pregnant via this rape. No, no. And no, no, no. they get back together. And I was like, I only didn't know how to feel about it because I knew I was supposed to feel a certain way about it yeah. i knew i was supposed to like understand Ugh. that he just loved his wife so much that he had to Ugh, and i kind of thought this movie just i mean this is disgusting but like this movie just aborted itself like <laughs> why 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 did you do that
0: how did this movie need
1: a rape to like really get us into that third
0: act <laughs> <laughs> It's so weird, yeah, because we've talked so much about, like, rape in media. Like, this is one of the few things that I can safely say is about rape. I mean, it's about other things, too, but that is really the central focus, whereas so often it's just used as a device or a tool or a motivating agent for a heroic manly male character who just wants to punch some dude's lights out or stab or shoot or what have you, some other violent means. And, like, I don't know. The, the things that have actually been about rape, I had alluded to them earlier on, but if we think about, like... Like, possible American equivalents for this show there kind of aren't any because it's such a unique creature but one thing that at least in subject matter is similar is did you ever see a, a show on I think it was MTV called Sweet Vicious? No no Oh, well it's um it's a female centric vigilante rape revenge show. It only lasted for one season, but it was really great. I remember it aired in the fall right after the twenty sixteen election, I wanna say. So I was it was very much like the medicine that my soul needed in that moment. These two college girls who team up on campus to punish and like basically beat up campus rapists. And it satisfied that fun itch, and I, I still think that this show is ultimately better because of the way that it actually, you know, tries to address the root of the problem and and asks more questions than it answers and shows so much empathy for every single side of every situation but that was like it would be a mistake to call it fun but it was like very satisfying and like a good comfort food in that period
1: okay back to Arab to the show. Bella
0: <laughs> she's smart and she's funny she published an ebook that was based on a series of funny tweets that she had written it's called Chronicles of a Fed Up Millennial so you know she she's very much an outsider who's just getting her foot in the door of the literary world like she does have agents but she hasn't you know gone through school to study creative writing or anything and she's, she's from a different background than most people who have those kinds of opportunities.
1: That conversation that she has with Zane because Mm. you mentioned that she hasn't been to school etc before she and Zane have their romantic encounter he's been hired by the publisher to sit down with her and help her finish this draft and we hear her reading like bits of her writing earlier in the series and you can tell that she has raw talent and a lot of energy but there's no finesse Mm -hmm. it's just kind of a lot of like free form free association rambling which is great but it needs to be harnessed and crafted and she reveals that she got her book deal based on like amusing tweets Mm -hmm. but Zane of course went to Cambridge you can tell that he disrespects her from that moment yes
0: and resents her
1: because the way he said like if I had only known that all I had to do was have a Twitter account and not you know an education yeah
0: there is this sense of entitlement that you can just see flickering in his eyes and this this sense of resentment that I think a lot of people feel particularly when you know young women or young black women or really anybody from an outsider community who doesn't go through the quote unquote proper channels there's this sense of like they've jumped the queue they're leapfrogging somehow they're getting success that they don't quote unquote deserve and yeah watching this show it was the second time that i watched the show obviously so i knew what was coming with zane it was interesting to watch that and to be like oh so he feels entitled he maybe wants to knock her down a peg because like it's it's crazy to me to like try to understand the psychology of someone who sexually assaults somebody else because sometimes it is sort of easy to trace back like oh this person was molested as a child so now they are also a child molester like okay that was pretty easy but with something like this that is not something that clearly is considered rape by all countries legal systems or by all individuals but like it requires premeditation like it is a strategic thing and I'm just like what the fuck is going on in your brain, Zane. Yeah, something else that
1: the show does really nicely is we get to hear her and see her become a better writer. She's been struggling to get this draft to the people who represent her since episode one. She's going to pull that all-nighter and she, quote, finishes the draft in like a drug-like fugue sort of state. And they say it becomes very sort of experimental at the end and they're being very kind because they don't say none of this makes sense. So yeah, they have her working with Zane, but then she meets Susan Penny. Yes. From Penny House, the publisher. And she's, I thought it was funny when Arabella was thrilled to meet Susie and she just yells, you're black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's sort of this instant, like, I'm comfortable. Yeah. Thank God you're not just some white woman who already like hates me. But mm-hmm. Susie suffers no fools. Yeah. But the way that Susie then says, like, Ooh, what's that story? When she says, My draft is late because I was raped, mm-hmm. like something happened. Yeah. Ooh, that, that story, like, no one ever stops demanding that she fulfill her capitalist duties. She's never given a break from what they need from her because there is money. And they know everything. She's Mm -hmm. being completely transparent in an uncomfortable way about what happened. But that's like, well, how can we still get what we need from you? So Susan does Mm -hmm. kind of say, like, when do we hear that story? And when Arabella reads what she's been working on, the writing is so good. She says, prior to being raped, I never took much notice of being a woman. I was busy being black and poor. Daring to observe the hazard my gender may pose to my freedom and survival feels like a betrayal to the council flat I was born and raised in, where hardship was no respecter of genitals, and a little brother was as starved of food and love as his sister. When I think about the Met Police force and the chronic racism that cripples it, the fact that I opened my mouth to tell them someone did a little rape in there feels felonious in itself. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. Am I too late to serve this tribe called women? Do I actually understand what it is to be a woman struggling? A little rape in the mouth is a walk in the park when other girls are currently being stoned to death for having mobile phones, are bleeding to death after genital mutilation, are looking at a womb irreparably destroyed by militias, systematically raping them during times of civil conflict and war. Are these facts a humbling reminder not to be so loud about my experience, or Are they a reminder to shout? Can my shout help their silent screams? Is it time to serve a new tribe? I hope one day to know. So good. I'm like tingling having read that. There's so much going on. She's she's asking these questions. It's this incredible device that she's a writer. Of course, it's autobiographical, but we get to have this insight into what's going on in her mind. But we also get to see that her writing is getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And so by the end, when she does manage to write a book about her experience, we understand why that book is good.
0: You mentioned Susan Henny, and I did want to talk about her for a couple reasons. First of all I said at the top of this episode this is definitely not really a comedy but I think that she's the closest thing that we get to a sitcom character. She provided most of my amusement I think. There's just something about her that is slightly inaccessible like I think because of her job because she's a serious powerful businesswoman we're not really getting to see the sides of her humanity as we're getting from all of these other main characters but also I think that she's a great illustration of what we had said before about how your identities, your, like, on-paper identities can inform who you are, but they aren't the whole of who you are. And the fact that Arabella was so relieved and excited to see a Black woman at the top of this, but she does not turn out to be an ally in any way, and she ends up ultimately siding with her rapist, Zane by publishing his novel under a pseudonym and dropping her. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't necessarily always rely on people to have sympathy for you just because you share a skin color, you share some sort of experience. Another thing that speaks to that same issue is that when she reads Zane's book thinking that it's written by this woman named Della, she is like, "Oh my god, this is the best thing ever." And like, I want to reach out to her as a woman cuz like you're clearly such an amazing woman writer. And it's kind of like, yeah, well he he clearly had some sort of powerful voice that maybe wrote female characters very well or spoke to a certain point of view that like it you don't necessarily I mean <laughs> (laughs) You know, there are white male allies who are better allies to women or people of color than people who fit those identities because fitting in those identities, it can be hard to advocate for yourself. You're just trying to survive and you need to adopt certain hard qualities and you might not necessarily like throw the ladder back down for other people who look like you because it's just, I don't know, everybody's different. Some people are selfish and some people don't really see a way to have it both ways. And, uh, and you just can't really blame anybody who's existing under a system of oppression for how they react to it. I mean, you, you can, and you sometimes should. But like, I think that this show approaches it, as with everything else, from a place of empathy and understanding and curiosity. And I think that we should all try to do that more, too.
1: Yeah, I think that Susie, I mean, like you said, sitcom character, for sure. There is a moment in the penultimate episode where she goes to see Susie about meeting Della, who turns out to be Zane. And she offers unprompted, I haven't taken a break in eight years. Mm. That makes you hardened, I'm sorry. Like workaholic type of people. But you have to imagine that Susie has gotten to the place that she is at by not acting like Bella. Bella is late. Bella is not producing what she is contractually bound to produce. She does eventually have a great excuse, but she was already not writing even when things were going very well for her Mm -hmm. so yeah Susie may have just had to adopt this idea of like I'm not gonna just have mercy on people who look like me if they are not I mean I don't want to quote Logan Roy but the idea of you're not a killer (laughs) I don't want to look at you and be reminded of all of the liberties that I was not allowed to take Mm -hmm. as a black woman to get to where
0: I am I think it's perfectly appropriate that you quoted Logan Roy because I think that they're the two best HBO shows of recent years so okay (laughs) that's true oh wait speaking of hbo shows there was one other thing that i wanted to say about like sort of american equivalents is that there's something about the vibe of the show that makes me think of euphoria it's the fact that it's dark and depressing subject matter there's a lot of illegal drugs and like fucked up sex shit but also there's something about the aesthetic like the I want to talk about the way that this show looks because it's really beautiful chewing gum had a very like bright kind of candy colored world and this is kind of more like a like a nightlife kind of vibe like the sort of ultraviolet lighting of like Mm -hmm. you know I mean I I don't go to clubs but like that is sort of what it is it's like it's colorful but it's very dark it's like a nighttime kind of not quite neon fluorescent sort of vibe and that's the same sort of aesthetic as Euphoria and it just they kind of live in the same space in my head you know what I mean? I do know what you mean Mm -hmm. and also
1: the use of like texting and social media Mm -hmm. and comments and graphics it's very modern yeah I also will say like this is one of the few shows where having to read not always a text but like a grinder message mm-hmm. there's like always a graphic to read but the content of the graphic is not like miss that and you've missed a really important exchange between two characters and right. you're not going to understand what the rest of the episode is about mm-hmm. that i resent hated having to read text in ted lasso hate <laughs> having to read text on morning show because it's like now i have to pause it and go what does that say I i'm not
2: wearing my glasses
1: but this just kind of gives you the idea like when she has i mean for lack of a better word like kind of a breakdown mm-hmm. when it's halloween she 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 goes on Instagram Live when she's very upset, and she's just walking the streets of London by herself, screaming into a phone. And she's giving these rape statistics, and it's all very upsetting and all fact based. And you see the clusters of comments rolling in, and you know that's giving her this huge, much needed hit of dopamine. Mm -hmm. The show also deals with like phone addiction, finally. And Michaela Cole herself quit social media a couple years ago because it was overpowering. She was like living for the engagement. She was thinking about how people live for engagement, and she took a break. I don't know if she had an Arabella moment, but yeah, you see the comments change from positive to people asking are you okay Mm. and so you don't have to read each individual one to get that idea across which is so much easier on the eyes I don't want to watch important things taking place via text
0: another thing that's cool about this show it has a great soundtrack I don't have any more insight on that it's just that like it just looks and sounds and feels so cool that's all. Oh, yeah.
1: No, I want to live in, like, that London. I want to go to that club in Italy, even though it's not my thing. This show yeah. is very pretty. And Color is, um, like, I love that she opens the show in like a purple wig Mm -hmm. and then there's the pink wig and then she shaves her head just like the visual cues of like the passing of time and of things being shed and, and a vulnerability is very very cool
0: so do we want to talk about terry next i would love to talk about terry next Terry is Arabella's best friend from their school days and she's a very insecure actress. She has all of these auditions but she sometimes will chicken out and not go or will somehow mess them up. It's like it's a very common sort of self-sabotaging thing but the two of them are so close. The closest thing to a catchphrase that this show has is your death is my death, your birth is my birth and I just love their relationship so much. And one thing that's very important is that it is revealed at some point in the the series that Terry was actually partly responsible for Arabella being left on her own that night, you know, thus facilitating this assault to happen. And she feels so consumed with guilt and when she finally finds out that Arabella knows, She goes to apologize, but Arabella won't even hear the apology. She just immediately says, thank you for being there for me in the aftermath of this. And it's just, it's such a lovely moment of forgiveness and understanding. And it's like, she's made her full journey from being very, like we said, black and white and reactionary and so traumatized that she can't handle any nuance to like forgiving her friend for the role that she played, which is not the most important role. And it would be very easy for her to like, especially blame someone that she's close to and blame a woman for letting this happen to her. But uh, yeah, it's a very Mm. mature response.
1: Yeah, they do a good job of making sure that there are like several factors involved Mm -hmm. leading up to why Arabella was ultimately left in this bar. She's there with her friend, Simon, whose cousin is in town. And on top of that, Simon is cheating on his partner. So Simon does have this motivation to like leave the bar before everybody else because he wants to go have sex with this woman that Mm -hmm. he's having sex with on the side. So he calls Terry and says, like, should I leave Arabella here? She's partying. And Terry says something like, oh, she's fine. This is what she does. And it's like, that's not untrue. It's not Arabella's first time at the cocaine rodeo. So you can see why these flawed people make a series of flawed decisions. Mm -hmm. One of the other, like, really cool things they do with that plot line is before they even reveal that Terry gave Simon the green light to leave Arabella in the club, is they flash back to this time where Terry went to go visit Arabella in Italy, and they go out to a club one night. She does leave Arabella in this Italian club, where she then later meets Biagio, and nothing bad happens with Biagio. And then Terry is kind of whistled at by this man, and they're gonna dance, and he goes to get them a drink, And she meets another man. She ends up taking both of them home and has a threesome. But when she watches them leave, she sees outside her window they're kind of acting like really chummy Mm -hmm. and there's that moment of wait did they know each other because they acted like they were strangers and that it's like what is it about tricking a woman because she was down chances are it would have been fine to be like we are italian friends and we wanted to to, uh, you know like maybe she would have
0: said sure. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, (laughs) that is something like I said, I've been like trying to contemplate the mindset of a rapist. And like, I think the deceit and the trickery must be part of the appeal for a lot of people. This is something that I think about all the time with fucking How I Met Your Mother. And the very problematic character of Barney Stinson who like it's not hard to find a woman to have consensual sex with you but his whole thing is like coming up with these crazy elaborate schemes like I'm an astronaut or I was sent back from the future to have sex with you to save the world or I'm the- a Yankee like you don't need to fucking lie that says something so damaging and damaged about your psychology like just stop
1: that was such an uncomfortable part of how I met your mother Ugh, I know. it was so consistent the tricking women
0: yeah he- He's committed like hundreds of rapes by deception and that's something the show just never uh, acknowledged but what can you do he's our friend barney he's horny and adorable <clears throat> so kwame next i love kwame so much I do too. he's so
1: beautiful he i
0: just love looking at his face when he's on
1: screen i'm like look at your eyes look at your outfits Oh, you you go get it on in the bathroom in this supermarket because you're on Grinder and you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just said no group of people is a monolith, but there is the phrase the gay community mm-hmm. because I guess once a week they all meet. <laughs> <laughs> when you do think about like just taking two cis men and they're attracted to each other and there's no risk of pregnancy, part of me is like, I do understand why you would just get it on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I really, really do. But with Kwame, this behavior does eventually get him in a dangerous situation. And once that happens, he does seem to rely on it sort of even more than he already was. He has like even more sort of anonymous Mm -hmm. hookups. So it is going to a place that's dark. He reveals that his very first sexual experience ever was with two men, Mm -hmm. neither of whom knew his name and vice versa. And a lot of the characters in the show, obviously Kwame included, will say, speak a truth out loud about their life and then kind of go, whoa. Yeah. That was fucked up.
0: I think that there were probably very few sexually active humans alive who don't have some sort of moment like that from their youth or from some any point in their life that they don't don't look back on and go, oh, if I defined that in different terms, ooh, that's something that's very uncomfortable to sit with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If Mm -hmm. I had known then what I know now, ooh.
1: This guy who is gay but has never been with a man is interested in Kwame and vice versa, but they can't go to Kwame's place, they can't go to this guy's place and so Kwame relies on his app and is like well what if I could find us a place to be together but there might be another person involved and this third guy turns out to be bad news and it's very uncomfortable from the beginning because Kwame can also probably see that his date is not completely into this he's not speaking up yeah but it's Uncomfortable. Hey, he's not a mind reader, Stephanie. (laughs) Just kidding. I you know what? I stand corrected. That was a bad date for that gay man. That's true. They go to this guy's place, and this guy is only interested in Kwame, and they start to get it on in front of this date, who then eventually leaves. And you know, Kwame and this guy have sex, and then as Kwame goes to leave. The date shuts the door, Ugh. won't let him leave, makes him get on the bed, and then he he like dry humps Kwame to completion. Yeah. And it's just so like, what? Yeah. And at the end, all he can say is, you know, what can I say? I'm a dirty boy, Ugh. or something like that. Yeah. It's such a mind job that like Kwame fully consented to what they previously did, mm-hmm. but now it's taken to a place that is very ugly and he feels completely used. And it's the same episode as the condom stealth removal. Mm-hmm. Kwame calls Arabella at the end of that episode and Arabella is like laughing and joking with Zane, and Kwame is crying but they're both lying to each other and themselves Mm because they don't know quite what just happened and Arabella we learn I think even earlier in that very episode that she only feels good around other people she Mm -hmm. can't be alone so in that moment a part of her brain probably feels like well I'm safe because I'm with somebody else it doesn't matter that he sort of violated me yeah she's pushing that out of her head and Kwame in the end can't even say what happened he's like I just called to say I love you Bay, and they're both lying
0: it is interesting how Arabella clinging to Zane I mean he is like the lesser of two evils still evil but the violation that you just experienced at the hands of someone that you kind of know and kind of trust versus the flashbacks to the totally traumatic stranger rape like yeah, I I get it. But yeah, the first time that I watched that episode, and I was like, that's, that's a huge violation. Why is she not reacting like that? And I'm like, well, maybe it's because like her bar for what violation is has been raised. But also, as we learn in the following episode, she didn't know that that was like a thing that guys do. And I remember being horrified when I learned what they call it stealthing is and I was like there's a whole fucking term for the sneaky removal of condoms to violate your partner I was horrified to learn about that, horrified to learn that sleep raping is like a very common thing apparently too like every time I read a new article about the ways that usually men violate their usually female partners I'm just like I, do do I ever need to have sex again? Maybe not Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm fine Maybe I don't know I, I can understand why this show Would make you like Not wanna it, have sex It really for, did Well yeah the a, first time That wah-wah. I watched it And I saw her Hooking up with Zayn I was like Oh Zayn is so hot Like wouldn't it be great To just be like Hey you wanna do this And then they do But then five seconds Into their encounter He takes off the condom And I was like Oh
1: no 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 no, Never mind Never mind Yeah He does expertly use Gaslighting mm-hmm. Oh I, th- I thought you You knew. Yeah. Couldn't you feel it? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That can be effective and bewildering in the moment. And she's like already not okay. She's having flashbacks to the rape, even as they're just kind of making out. Like she's not okay. And there is that poster... That keeps falling off of her wall in the first or second episode. There's just a poster taped to a wall that keeps falling during mm. like a "brrm ching" kind of moment. And it's interesting that when she tapes it back up, they finally reveal that it's like a diagram of a man's body.
0: Oh wow, I didn't notice that. Ooh, that's yeah. some good observation of symbolism there, Steph. That reminds me of when I was a when I was a 20 year old virgin in college. I had a poster of the 40 year old virgin on my wall, <laughs> and and it fell down one day, and I was like, let Let this be a sign. (laughs) It it wasn't a sign. (laughs) I guess it was a sign, because I did manage to lose my virginity before age 40, so check oh good i wonder what
1: else we could achieve before we're 40 who
0: knows
1: we'll finish this conversation
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i wouldn't bet on it no we're gonna be having this conversation conversation for for the rest of our lives in a good way yeah that's true but yeah there there is a quote arabella says at the height of her social media addiction where she says this is why i hate straight white guys and y'all are making it really hard for me to change my mind and yeah zane isn't white but yeah that's how i feel about straight guys in general a lot of the time in this show for all of its nuance and empathy and love of humanity it it is it is making it hard for me to change my
1: mind for sure however i will say like her rapist is white however by the end we do get to see that he was acting with a friend there was this black guy who knew all along mm-hmm. this was a two man job yeah. and so there are so many intersections in this show and i love how the power dynamics are examined from multiple angles mm-hmm. like this black man that acts with this white rapist mm-hmm. who is like kind of just as bad he helped make this all happen. He didn't have extra empathy because the victim was Black. In that moment, these were two men who were being asshole men together. It's true. Also, her roommate Ben is a white man and Ben is hashtag not all men I know I do
0: love Ben although I do wonder since we don't know that much about Ben I wonder how much I'm just projecting onto him because of the main characters he's the one that we kind of know the least about and see the least of because it's established that like he's kind of quiet and he stays in and he's just kind of used sometimes as a visual punchline for like oh he's just like quietly reading in the corner during a loud party or something and he's just like he's like an adorable plant that just stays out of the way or like a very shy pet that sometimes comes out from under the bed yeah I of course love Ben in a fuck Mary kill if we can even do that with these characters like I would probably marry Ben but I think it's because again I know the least about him so there's the least possibility for me to blame him but I mean I'm not sure how much I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's like a cute probably straight white man but he that he's also he, he could fit the description of a serial killer we don't know he's quiet and he keeps to himself and he seems so nice this is
1: true <laughs> autobiographically speaking she did live with this guy, Michaela Cole, when all of this was happening. And I don't know if this person was white. I don't know if this person was as lovely as Ben. But she does say that she had this guy roommate who was from the countryside Mm -hmm. and did spend a lot of time like with plants and being curious about birds. He is the person that we know the least about. So I don't want to assume that everything he ever does is lovely. But he does show up for her Mm -hmm. in ways that you can see him like really just being a nice person. Mm -hmm. He's someone that she can call upon and we do not see him disappoint.
0: That's true. And
1: so not to say like I hope that no one thinks that like as I'm watching this I'm like well good because not all white people are bad. This show's unfair and mean to white people. (laughs) Like there are so few white people in this show and only one of them is like absolutely horrible but mm-hmm. she even does hold space in the finale for empathizing with with her attacker Ugh. so when I say like I'm glad Ben's in there mm-hmm. it's not because I think that he like gives all white people a pass forever <laughs> because we're good believe me we're good <laughs> that is not what's happening just wanted to clear the air no, no, on no. That. but as
0: we've said like no kind of person is a monolith and there are of course some very lovely straight white men out there Some some very lovely straight white Ben's out there yes deserve a little love
1: um can we talk about the bob speech
0: oh yes yes take it away
1: there are these other survivors and they're talking about having conversations with their male partners about like something that you did before i didn't like it then and i don't like it now don't do it Mm -hmm. and there's a rule in the group that you refer to all men as bob
2: it's hard to stop it when it starts off so small Steve's like that. remember he's... all aggressors. Oh, Bob, Bob, sorry. I took Bob aside. I said, can you stop? Barely finished speaking before he's looking all horrified, saying he'll never talk to me again, because it's safer. Looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, Bob probably does think you're crazy. He thinks this is all a little uncalled for and this personal space thing is all going a bit too far. And he's very confident in his view because he's gone exploring to see for himself what boundaries and violations these women might be banging on about because Bob's thorough. And on these explorations, Bob found the line that separated him from everything else. Rather than crossing it, he tiptoed on it. And he experienced this feeling of being on the boundary, on the border, right on the line of being neither in one place or another. And saw how in this gray area, where nothing was quite clear, no one could be clear. We can't articulate, we fuddle our words. We couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was he did that we felt was so wrong. So yeah, Bob thinks you're crazy. Yeah, he thinks he's the smartest man in the room who knoweth all things because Bob has observed the detail. We have to start observing Bob, telling him. We do see the detail. We see you, Bob. And if we see you, it means we are right there with you, tiptoeing in line right behind you. And in that place, where rules, clarity, law, When separation cease to exist, we will show you exactly what we mean by violation." And I'm tingling again. Oh
0: my god, yeah. I want to have that fucking monologue spray-painted on every giant building in every city in every country in the world. Kaylee, is this where we become Banksy? This is just what we do is post
1: the Bob speech like in front of the White House. I
0: love that. The problem is that wouldn't we need to be anonymous when we've just confessed our whole plan to all, you know, 100 or so of our listeners? But they can keep a secret, right?
1: Shh. Also, frankly, part of us probably doesn't mind the idea that people would know it was us because it's still a fucking awesome thing to do. And, you know, what's up, Michaela? Let's hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the elephant in the room is that we recognize that as incredible writing because it was expressing something we've experienced. Mm-hmm. I've known some bobs. I've had some moments of... Do I even know if this is okay or not? Yeah. He's not raping me, but like there's this thing that's Mm -hmm. not cool and I can't describe exactly why. And -hmm. maybe by then it's already over. And you're able to go, oh, I'm sure it was an accident. Yeah. And you're gaslighting yourself when you do that. 100%. But yeah, that's terrifying. And to think that it is a result of having tried it many, many times with other people. Mm -hmm. It's like people know exactly what they can get away with. Yes. That is creepy as fuck. And the amount of, you know, experiences flooding to mind. It's like... It's upsetting how many of them happened to me during my formative years of, like, early sexual experiences. Mm. And it sort of becomes this blueprint. It's like, this is what men do. Yeah. So you got to be along for the ride. This is just the way it is.
0: It's true. It is It is something that is practiced intentionally and also that is learned, again, like, consciously and unconsciously, intentionally and unintentionally, just absorbed through the culture in a million shitty little ways and you know going back to her other little monologue in the group therapy setting about like I'm here to learn how not to be raped you know something that we've only started talking about as a culture I think in the last maybe what five years less than 10 years is the idea that when you teach girls how not to get raped you are teaching your boys how to rape Like, that's the flip side of that coin, guys. Look at it and own it and stop it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's such a goddamn shame, too. Like, when Arabella, you know, she's kind of dating this guy in Italy, Biagio. When she finally gains the courage to tell him what happened, he screams at her. His first reaction is to scream at her and say, if you had been watching your drink, you wouldn't be raped. (laughs) Yeah. And I immediately thought of when I was drugged. There's no way that, like, the girl who went to get our drinks did it this isn't the hangover (laughs) we thought we did everything right with like the safety of like you go to the bar and get the drinks like she was there was she not watching hard enough I don't know what happened but I felt like oh I am not being handed a drink by a stranger I -hmm. did not go to the bathroom and then come back and find my drink had had something done to it while I was being irresponsible and going to empty my fucking bladder no
0: it's true the only way to avoid rape is to not become the target of a man who chooses to be a rapist and the problem is rapists and non-rapists look exactly the fucking same they walk among you you can't tell and that's why a lot of women are afraid of all men because like you're a rapist until proven otherwise and even then you can't ever really prove that someone's not which is why it really bothers me when someone's like oh i know that my friend couldn't have possibly done that because he's never raped me Mm -hmm. because you know a man is kind of like Your drink. You can't keep an eye on it 100% of the time. I think also about, like,
1: you brought up earlier a man saying, I would have kicked him in the balls. It's like, don't hear a story of harassment, violation, and immediately go, well, why didn't you? Because... There's conversations about safety, and if in your head you're thinking like, well, that was dumb. Mm -hmm. Why was she on many drugs around strangers? Like, again, you can have the thought, but someone is now coming to you saying that they've been traumatized permanently. Mm -hmm. Like, is your reaction going to be, and you deserved it because you made one human mistake? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, that is still a mistake. Yeah. It's not the intentional decision, To put something in a woman's drink for to then have forced sex with her. Yeah. Go yell at that person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and you know what's also funny about the whole, like, I would have kicked him in the balls, is that if I heard that, I would never say this out loud, but, like... I'd be like, ooh, it was a mistake to kick him in the balls. That's probably why he punched your lights out and why you needed to get surgery on your fucking face. Because men, I hear, don't take too kindly to being kicked in the testes. Also,
1: like, I want to know how many men have even employed that tactic in their daily lives if someone has pissed them off.
0: There's probably like an honor code that they don't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. How do I know that I would have kicked him in the balls is remotely true. Yeah. Have you ever kicked anyone in the balls? Give me proof that you've ever done that in your life and maybe I'll believe you. (laughs) Yeah
0: but also there's this uh, again with like the way that most rape is depicted is like from a very male point of view either as a sexy fun youthful indiscretion in an 80s comedy or as like motivation for revenge in a drama. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to make it safe for women and other victims of assault of any kind to confide in the men in their lives without fear that they're going to Take it to some stupid place of revenge because I've thought about this a lot with both my ex-boyfriend and with my father I've I've thought like if I were ever like say violently raped by a stranger or even by somebody that I knew I don't know if I could tell them because I think that they might take it upon themselves to like murder this person because they think that that is what men need to do is to be the protector and be the violent one and like you're responsible for for protecting the girls and the women in your life through violent means but like what I really need is a hug and support and like for you to make a quiet show of strength like in a bend sort of way be nurturing and allow me to grow like the beautiful plants in the garden like don't just use my trauma as an excuse for you to like blow off some excess testosterone that you probably just wanted to get rid of anyway because then it's not about me and my experience anymore it's about you proving yourself and your worth as a man and as a hero in the world and like nobody needs that kind of hero this is not a fucking marvel movie this is real life
1: i hate that two other pieces of art immediately came to my mind the sopranos Mm. when dr melfi is Brutally raped in a fucking stairwell. But, you know, in the end, she knows that she can't tell Tony because Tony's going to go try to kill him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Tony's asking her, like, is something wrong? Is something wrong? And the last shot of that episode is just that no. Mm -hmm. I hate that you have to now think about your attacker's humanity before you're maybe ready to. Yeah. Because you think that this other man who cares about you is going to go murder that person and that's going to be on your head on top of everything else that's yeah. going on. And I also thought about the movie Lawless Written by Nick Cave, who I worship, but has <laughs> issues with women. Like there are two women in that movie. One of them is Jessica Chastain. You see her boobs, and she
0: gets raped. That should never happen in the same movie. And
1: she knows that she can't tell Tom Hardy because Tom Hardy's gonna go kill people. Yeah. So she shoulders that as well. And it's like, why, 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 why? Why? I'm bored.
0: So there, there are two more things that I definitely want to talk about. <laughs> Maybe is this an appropriate show to do a fuck Mary Kill with? Even I don't. no No. it's not okay i mean unless we can make that into like
1: all nice things who would you want to party with
0: oh well i was gonna say like we kill the rapist and fuck kwame and mary ben i don't know that's exactly what we do there we go (laughs) done boom out of the way But no, I think that we should I don't have anything else really to talk about in the first eleven episodes, but we have to talk about the ending.
1: That finale is one of the most interesting TV show finales in recent years. It is fascinating that she was able to pull that off.
0: Yeah. Throughout this whole thing, I was wondering how is this going to conclude? There are multiple ways that it could conclude, and I love that she manages to have her cake and eat it too three separate times by showing possible ways for this story and you know for her book. About it to conclude. In the episodes leading up to the finale, she has taken to staking out the ego death bar, which was the site of her rape, and like looking for the rapist. And she doesn't necessarily have a plan in mind for once that happens. But then at the end of the 11th episode, we see her look in and she sees him and instantly gets the flashback and she knows that it's the guy. And again, it it's just a perfectly tense, like, whoa, holy shit moment to end an episode on. And then it's like, oh god, what will the next half hour of this show bring? Bring. and then as I said it, it brings us three separate scenarios.
1: I fell for the first scenario to a point when I yeah. watched it for the first time. It was so well done and Arabella has been so maybe erratic is a little bit too harsh but you do mm-hmm. definitely see that she is going through shit and mm-hmm. she has bad days. Yeah. So she has become I mean there's the unreliable narrator she's like the unpredictable protagonist. Mm-hmm. So in this first scenario she runs into the bathroom of this bar with Terry And you think you are just seeing reality unfolding because Terry says, we need to figure out what we're going to do. And she says, I've done that. And she has changes of clothes and disguises with her. Then Bella also calls Theo. And there's a great shot of them all sitting together in this corner of the bar, all watching the rapist. And Arabella has this blonde wig and this like sexy dress on. And so she starts flirting with her attacker who is called David in the first episode but in this episode he gives her a fake name Patrick and so Patrick goes to spike her drink and that lets Theo know like which pocket he keeps the drugs in so she goes and steals the drugs and she cooks up a syringe Arabella's flirting with the guy and then she pretends to be drugged they go into the bathroom and then she does what Promising Young Woman tried to do Mm -hmm. which is kind of snap back into reality and then she says now and underneath the bathroom stall you see that syringe plunge <laughs> into the guy's foot yeah. I fell for all of this
0: yeah it's very well done and it is very satisfying in that way that I kind of had hoped for promising young woman to be because we were talking about how like it's great that this show doesn't just go with like the badass girl group you know female revenge vigilante justice thing but it is still such a satisfying fucking itch to scratch and like getting that little 10 minute vignette of it it's the thrill of the hunt and the plan and everybody playing their little role in it but then eventually they need to to follow him out after he's been drugged he has removed her panties and pocketed them so that would be evidence for the police so they catch up to him he collapses on the sidewalk and arabella just starts beating the shit out of him just or first she says i want to see his cock and then she pulls down his pants and and touches him And then she starts punching him. And that is the moment. See, this show is so good because they have me in the palm of their hand. Like, I am exactly where Michaela wants me to be at any given point because I'm so along for the ride and so into it. And then it's like, oh, fuck, this is unsatisfying. Now what? Mm -hmm. If you do dream of revenge and then you leave your rapist in a bloody fucking pile, that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't end rape culture. It doesn't do anything at all. And uh, I just thought that that was such a perfect like build up and then let down of like oh yeah this isn't the way this isn't the answer.
1: Yeah because now she's a murderer. Mm-hmm. She gets the body onto the bus and she drags it underneath her bed mm-hmm. where she's also been storing the bag of evidence that she turned over to the police. Maybe it's an obvious metaphor but it's also an obvious place to store your shit. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, it's it, <laughs> so in this fantasy of murdering the rapist she puts the murderer under her bed and so obviously we know by then that this is a fantasy yeah. but it does show us like no 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 she's been working on excavating mm-hmm. what's underneath her bed this isn't going to be a satisfying ending to her mm-hmm. to her story and in real life Michaela Cole as I said she wrote nearly 200 drafts of this show mm-hmm. there was a draft where she does like kill the guy
0: well I mean I bet that that was therapeutic for her to write yeah and
1: necessary but then she thought like but now Arabella's a murderer and this is going to sort of cancel out everything else like this can't be the end and so we go in into this second fantasy, which starts to begin The way that her night begins in the previous episode. She's with Ben. He's tending to a plant. And he asks, are you doing your stakeout thing again tonight? And she invites him. And he says, you know, I don't get out much. And then it begins the second round of the fantasy at the bar. It's Terry's plan. Mm -hmm. She snorts all this cocaine so that she can drink the spiked drug. While she's doing that, Terry's like calling the police. And, you know, they get him into the bathroom. But in this bathroom, when she comes to... The rapist gets to speak, and we learn that this person has also been abused perhaps all of his life he also kind of gives the speech about you think this is so terrible there are wars in iraq and the worst thing that's happening to you is that a guy wants to fuck you in a bar oh boo hoo but he starts crying as he's ranting and raving and we learn you know he starts saying things as if someone's speaking to him saying don't you dare tell anybody about this david and it's like ooh, this is the abuse cycle Mm -hmm. And she escapes from the bathroom when the police show up. And so you see her, she's let him into her home and he starts crying and she hugs him. She hugs him very hard. And then the police show up and take him away. And that was like, wow. Yeah. What do you think of that?
0: It's so complicated because it's so hard to have empathy for people who do monstrous things, particularly to us or to people that we love. And I think it's just so incredible that this character and Michaela Cole were able to access that. And, you know, obviously there's so much that is wrong with the justice system in, in this country and in their country as well. And like... I don't want the solution to everything to be like just lock them all up just warehouse all the bad guys and then because that's the same thing as like drawing that hard line that the therapist talked about and there's good and bad and you're you're either a criminal or you're a good upstanding citizen and you know it when you do see a glimpse of someone's humanity even when they've done something monstrous it does give you empathy because he didn't choose I mean he did make the decision ultimately to continue this cycle but he was put on the cycle in the first place not by his choice so yeah it's very sad it's all it's all just very sad that's the thing that this shows about rape in a way that none of the other media that we've talked about it's not sexy it's not fun it's not just like ooh yay good revenge Ooh good angry like it can make you angry of course but mostly all this stuff is just fucking sad there's no there's no winner here
1: it's so fucking sad I hate that, you know, because of things like 995 out of 1000 rapists are either like not found or exonerated or whatever, it does fall to the victim to just accept it. And, And that was going to probably be part of their recovery anyway. Seeing somebody behind bars is not necessarily going to lift all of the burden instantaneously. That probably never happens. But it's going to fall to the victim to insist that this is even looked into and then to do all of this exploration on their own and to ultimately come to a place of like I can hold empathy for my attacker because I don't know their story Mm -hmm. like that's a heroic amount of work for a person to do Mm -hmm. and I just think about how her draft was still due like when we talk about like legal protection for victims I wonder if there needs to be legal like I mean, to adopt something from like the SM community, like aftercare. Mm. Can there be legally, like, you are now legally entitled to three months off work yeah, yeah. or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like, just to ensure that this person does not then go on a murder spree, yeah. to ensure this person does not take their own life yeah. or, you know, spend all of their free time at the scene of the crime, hoping that something's going to happen. Yeah. Like, what are we doing as a society for people who need this kind of help? We are doing. Nothing. So then we come to the third scenario. It's daytime. Mm -hmm. And she just hits on this man as if the genders are swapped a bit. She's very assertive. No drugs are involved. She whispers something in his ear that we don't hear. And they go have consensual hot sex, Mm -hmm. which is an anomaly in this show right yeah she tops him which is really cool she's just penetrating him kind of by magic mm-hmm. and the yeah. the magic of film yeah. and metaphor and in an interview that I read with her she has said like I wasn't purposely trying to have Arabella be like the man I just really wanted her to penetrate her attacker. <laughs>
0: wow I didn't get that I thought that she was going for the oh oh, of course of course but
1: this is (laughs) another sort of thing that sort of reminds me of the bob speech things are unclear Mm. about it and we don't know how to clearly say things but as someone with certain anatomy to be entered by somebody Mm -hmm. even if you are saying 100% do this now I want you to they have a tremendous amount of power over you the second they do that oh yeah that is kind of fascinating and that's something that a person with a vagina can never truly do yeah. There's kind of an unspoken submission. Even if you're on top, Yeah, you're still kind of submitting to this thing. And so, I don't know. She wanted to have power over her attacker. She wanted to have that inherent, like, you are the sub and I am the dom. And not because I am a man. Yeah. It's because I am, I am Arabella. And in this moment, hmm. I have what you have. I
0: thought that that scene was really beautiful and imaginative and took me utterly by surprise. And it kind of makes me think about something that I said to you earlier in this conversation about like you'd make such a great man like you said it was the rare portrayal of consensual sex in this show and i was like wouldn't it be fucking great if this was how it all could be like the the utopia that I envision is just like a big old, horny, free-to-be-you-and-me love pile of like, people being nice to each other. And we've talked about like all the different ways that we can assault and violate one another and this whole show is just like, portraying humanity as like a massive interlocking web of violation. And like, at the end of the day, you don't need to be a mind reader or understand on a conscious level these complicated power dynamics. You just need to use your fucking common good sense and courtesy and like, be nice nice and good to each other it is not actually that hard to do it shouldn't be that hard to do
1: that is making me think about kwame meeting that guy who doesn't want to just fuck him the first time they Mm meet we were both talking about earlier in the second scenario when we learned the abuser has been abused Mm -hmm. and the cycle and and so on and it doesn't just happen to abusers it's widespread it's what you and i are talking about with our conditioning when you're taught that you are worth a certain amount Mm -hmm. you take that on and it manifests however it manifests Manifests When your boundaries are violated, your boundaries become bad. Mm. And you perpetuate that because that is your understanding of how the world is going to work. And so Kwame is going on all of these grinder hookups. And so he meets up with this guy who makes him a mojito and an impressive plate of food. Mm. And Kwame is, he finds this like rude. He finds Mm -hmm. this a waste of time. And he's going to get up to leave. And this guy just keeps saying like... We can do that another time right now just sit and be with me and kwame gets up to leave and then he finally vocalizes what he needs and he just says i would like a hug Mm -hmm. and this guy goes and hugs him and he keeps taking kwame out on dates and kwame actually has to sit with this it is making him uncomfortable what does this guy want from me if he wants Mm -hmm. to know me but it all goes Mm -hmm. back to his first sexual experience yeah and he's learning like no this is also a sexual experience. Someone wanting to get to know me and care for me and be interested in me and we will get to that someday because that's not
0: off the table. Yeah. And I am worthy of this. And I am worthy of this. We are all worthy of this. We are all worthy of a beautiful plate of Mexican food and a hug. God damn it. Well, and he says to Ben, like, have you ever met somebody who you know is perfect for you,
1: but you're not the right person for them? What do you do? And Ben just rattles off, become the right person for them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, That doesn't have to take time. Just embody that. You deserve to have this be reciprocal. Do not spend all of your time thinking, I don't deserve this. I'm wasting this person's time now. It's Mm -hmm. just... Ugh. So they have that other scenario where they have consensual sex and they wake up in the morning and he says to her like I'm not gonna leave until you tell me mm-hmm. to which is something that of course you want a man to say to you after you've slept with him the first night of meeting him right if you're but into yeah, him yeah. anyway but it's disgusting because we know who he right. really is and she just says go mm-hmm. and he walks out the door of her bedroom fully naked and then the bloodied version of him from the first scenario walks out from underneath her bed. And so you can kind of see like living out these scenarios in her head is helping set her free from it. It's it's clearing shit out. Something kind of important that's an important visual in this episode and the previous episode is that she has these note cards Mm -hmm. all over her bedroom walls that are going to be the framework of the next book that she's writing. So between scenarios, you see her move note cards around and after that scenario you see her point to the note card that just says like Ben in the
0: garden or, or something like that so um so then what happens it goes back to that same origin point the uh, I've got you babe of this episode <laughs> are you gonna go back to the bar again tonight and she says no so the two of them just stay and they they watch their little cartoons together oh another thing that I forgot to mention when talking about how much I love Ben was that at one point when Arabella leaves him to go do something more fun or exciting is that he watches a little cartoon tune on his phone about loneliness and that just broke broke my heart in the sweetest way to use a Stephanie callis's It's so
1: cute and so then in the next scene Bella's is presenting Terry with a copy of her new book which is called January 22nd which is what she almost named the show oh. but she thought that was too limiting but I love that the book cover is that symbol because when the therapist is telling her about the perceptions of wrong and right and drawing a line she writes the letter A this is A for Arabella and then there's this line underneath Arabella and there's an X and it's what's underneath this line is the scary shit that you're afraid to look at it's where there is guilt and shame and and sadness and grief Mm -hmm. and Arabella in that scene draws like this sigil that's essentially a combination of all those three things because that's that's the real you is the combination of all of it so that sigil is the book cover and she's dedicated it to Terry Mm -hmm. and then you see her in this bookshop she's about to read an excerpt from it and she takes just like this inhalation of breath and she exhales and we see this image of arabella pre-assault in the purple wig and she's got the gold-like fangs that she's wearing (laughs) when she's dressed as that devil and she she gives this like exhalation and then the show's over. Yeah. It's so haunting. It
0: is. It's haunting and it's also just really beautiful. And again, like the, the visual symbolism of like the fully integrated self, the symbol that you described on her book cover and the before and after and all these different elements of her character that are all ultimately the same person. And she's been forever changed by this, but not... Ruined by it. It just
1: encapsulates kind of like, not every, but like a lot of news items. Obviously, this exists like post Me Too, Mm -hmm. and it does explore the upsides and downsides of... Doxing men on the internet, (laughs) but it also does explore like consent. It talks about that hot topic, but also I feel that empathy is a word that more people are saying, at least more people in the arts that Mm -hmm. they're talking about publicly and the importance of empathy and vulnerability. And it manages to just weave so many different cool things together that are very topical but also universal and do it in a way that is like branded completely differently from anything else.
0: Yeah, so good. Good. I know. This is is a really really good show uh that's that's all i have to say about it plus the three hours that we've already spent talking about it plus the Uh, three hours we've already spent talking about it join us next week for our season finale which is catastrophe (sighs) gotta start working on my aka's right now oh yes enjoy enjoy that one steph uh in the meantime let me just say that i have so enjoyed having this epic conversation with you about like many of our favorite topics and uh yeah, your death is my death. Your birth, your birth, is, birth is, is my, my birth.
2: birth. <clears throat> <laughs>